Welcome to Capital P and People Work. I'm your host, Gabby Lubin, and I'm a three-time burnt-out professional. I say that because it's my mission in life to co-create a world where burnout is the exception, not the norm. That's why I've brought you a full season on Capital P of episodes that center on workplace wellness. Together, we'll dive into what it means to really walk the walk of wellness in the workplace. Join me in chatting with people leaders, wellness CEOs, and workplace wellness providers to learn about all that there is in workplace wellness. Let's dig into the topic for today. P.B. Anderson is the founder and CEO of Life Editor, a professional development executive coaching firm. Her role as a Life Editor coach is to help clients unlock any restrictions on their vision and mindset, to expand what's possible, and ultimately edit or change any self-limiting stories. Her clients span global Fortune 100 companies, technology, and media startups, as well as experienced entrepreneurs and senior leaders looking for an edge and additional support as they navigate their professional paths forward. P.B. is double certified by the Certified Coaching Alliance and Executive Coaching and Success Coaching. Life Editor is an NMSDC MBE certified company, and a partial client list includes Netflix, Facebook, Black Girls Breathing, and Arsenal Medical. Kibi's track record as a successful coach is driven by her experience as a senior business executive and film and television producer with over 20 years of experience in strategy, business development, media, entertainment, tech, finance, and entrepreneurship. Born and raised in Seattle, Washington, she received her MBA from the NYU Stern School of Business and is a cum laude graduate of Harvard University, where she earned a BA degree in East Asian Studies. She's also an Emmy Award-winning film producer. Kibi has given keynotes and workshops for companies, schools, and events globally, such as Wista, CEOX, Columbia University, New York University, University of Connecticut, and the Los Angeles Women in Media Conference. She's been featured in publications such as Fortune Magazine, The Huffington Post, Blavity, The Rivley Podcast, The Grio, to name a few. She currently resides with her husband and three bonus children in Los Angeles, California. Kibi, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Like I said, it's been a long time coming, so I'm happy to finally be able to join you. Yes, absolutely. And I, people aren't going to be able to see this, but you are sporting some funky, amazing glasses, and I need some of that at some point. So thank you for that energy today. <laughs> Listen, I love it. Thank Instagram and good ads, quite frankly. There you go. Um, man, they are targeted and they are working on me. So I feel you on that. <laughs> absolutely. Well, before we dig into the podcast today, um, we just heard about all your amazing accomplishments, but we want to make sure we also know about you. So Kibi, can you tell us who are you as a human? Oh, that is such a powerful question. So I always talk about Kibi as storyteller. And I say that because, um, you know, my history in origin as to where I am today all started with my love of stories. And that inherently, it speaks to my love of people, you know, and just the stories of the most simple people, the folks you would never even think about asking are the things that typically drive my deepest sense of curiosity. And a lot of my work now, whether it be in the entertainment industry or as a coach is grounded in this idea of like the stories that we tell ourselves into the world matter. And so 
I think that has always been like the driving force in how I show up as a human, just valuing everybody's stories and wanting to make sure that the rest of the world has an opportunity to be exposed to those special ones too. Yeah. Um, I'm so excited, <clears throat> excuse me, because that's exactly where we're going to dig in today. Um, so we're almost ready to do it, but before we do, I want to hear what your capital P word is right now. How are you thinking about people work? Oh, you know, my capital P is purpose, you know, and I, and I, you know, I feel like it sounds a little cliche because people are sometimes, you know, throwing that word around. But for me in this season of my life, like I'm operating in one of the most bold and brave and fearless times. And mind you, I mean, y'all may hear my journey like it has not always been that way, despite what the accolades may show. And I know that it's because I'm operating in my purpose more than I ever have in my life. And it's what's allowed me to take some risks that I think I have been holding myself back from. It's what drives my coaching work, you know, and why I think I'm such an excellent coach. Um, and it's really helping me align myself with the people and the projects and the um, activities, you know, that are really giving me the most joy. It's just everything is, is filtered through this purpose lens. And it's a it's just a beautiful season to be in. So I'm really grateful to, to be here. I, I love that you call it a season of life too, because I, I think you're absolutely right that we kind of ebb and flow and, and grow and sometimes get rid of some parts of us and experiences or people or literal places, et cetera. And um, it's, all, it's all a journey, which of course... <laughs> Sounds like I'm on the bachelorette right now talking about this journey, but <laughs> it's it true. <laughs> it's just how it is. And it sometimes feels better to realize that because the situation, if it is not a good situation that you're currently in right now, it's just, it's a season. It's going to pass. It's, it's going to change. Yeah. You know, one of my mantras that I have been telling myself probably like for the last 15 years is um, the simple phrase, this is temporary. Mm. And, it, and the reason, like, I remember I was going through a really tough season. A good friend literally came in my office. She put on a little yellow post-it. This is temporary. She said, put this on your computer screen. And I still have that post-it today. Like I said, that was probably 10, 15 years ago. But it's, it's to that point, you know, like, it, this is temporary. The good stuff is temporary. The bad stuff is temporary. So as long as you're able to honor that, like, core truth of life, you're able to just show up in a much more present way for the good and the bad stuff, right? Because like, we oftentimes want to like, numb ourselves to the bad stuff. I'm learning how to not do that. And like, just be in it, receive it, because that's typically, you know, when I experience the most growth, you know, I have the most amazing testimonies to come out of it. So totally feel you. Yeah, beautiful. Well, let's learn a little bit more about how you got to being able to embrace your seasons and your purpose and, and get to this alignment. Um, talk to us a little bit about your, your journey as um, in your career. Wow. Well, you know, I would say most, most recently, one of the biggest influences on my mindset now has been a health journey that I've been on for probably the past 10, 15 years. Um, I have a chronic autoimmune condition and for somebody who is used to working all the time, like operating at 5 million miles an hour, people say I'm the energizer bunny, you know, my career, volunteer stuff, trying to have relationships, all that kind of stuff. You know, the idea of confronting something that quite literally just grounded me, you know, like went, took me to not being able to get out of bed and, you know, intense excruciating pain, um, you know, having to be fully dependent on someone, it has given me a sense of humility. Like I said, a sense of greater purpose. Like, you know, when you're facing your, 
you know, I don't want, I mean, I don't, I wouldn't, I don't want to make it seem like I was like on my deathbed, but to the point of like having a very markedly different life, you know, yeah. like not being able to walk, consistent pain um, was real. And so it allowed me to, I think, begin to, 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 I'm sure many people do kind of begin to like, what do I want? What kind of person do I want to be? What kind of life do I want to live? And so my journey today has been really kind of taking all of the experiences I've had, you know, professionally, um, you know, working in the early years of the independent film industry and kind of learning that whole journey, producing, putting out awesome content, so sort of shifting to leading kind of big media brands and helping to think about ways to see businesses where content is the core kind of value and like how do you create a whole ecosystem that kind of drives not only awesome entertainment experiences, but money, you know, kind of ROI, because I am one of those who's like, okay, how we make the dollar holla. Of course, <laughs> you have to do like it. Being in this season of, you know, entrepreneurship and like really leaning into, um, you know, projects and work where kind of my ideas and my mindset and the things that I really care about are centered. And within that, you know, how do we elevate and support brilliant talent, you know, diverse talent, different experiences, being at the forefront of leading companies as an entrepreneur myself, like how do I lead in that own way? It's all been, I think, kind of connected to this revelation, which I highlighted in the top of this, you know, interview of like, oh, when you operate from the space of alignment with purpose, it just makes everything so much easier. The friction removes, like I said, the courage comes in. So that's a little bit about kind of where I am. I mean, it's probably the, the extreme cliff notes of like my background, but it just kind of gives you a high level um, kind of blueprint, I think, to sort of who I am today. Yeah. And I mean, it sounds like these are obviously elements that you bring into your coaching, which um, before we were talking, um, before we were recording, really is the the center, it sounds like, of your work and the center of this alignment. So talk to us how, you know, there, there are definitely coaches um, who listen to this podcast as we're, you know, kind of a, a group of HR professionals, people providers, people leaders, et cetera. Um, talk to us a little bit about that journey of deciding that coaching was the right choice. And then I want to get into the the nitty gritty of like, okay, why this kind of coaching and what kind of value does that bring? So let, let's start there. How did you get yourself into it? You know, I always answer this question with, I've been coaching since I was probably like in middle school, you know, like I was one of those frick kids that like everybody would come and we'd like start strategizing, you know, and it speaks to just my broader um, talents in sort of professional worlds. Like I've always done strategy, like I've always been kind of a visionary, a builder. Um, and so I just think about coaching now as just building brilliant people, you know, and helping them become even better versions of themselves, getting out of our way, you know, problem solving. Um, but more specifically, like I said, while I was doing it and one of my friends finally said, you know, you can get paid for this. <laughs> while I was doing this one, I said, you know what, that's true. And so thus began a journey. And I'll tell you the story. I have been, I was at lunch with a group of friends in New York and I was kind of talking about this vision I'd had, like, you know, at some point, you know, I just love helping people. And I, it might be kind of cool to become a coach. And as I highlighted, I have a background in media and film. And so as I was explaining how I like to work with people, I use this analogy of an editor. And I was like, you know, editors, like, you know, you can have two different editors come to the table and they'll tell a story completely differently. And sometimes that's what's necessary when you're working with leaders and people 
they have a version of their lives, a, ver a story of their lives or a story of their experiences they've been telling themselves that's leading to one end. But what if we were to shake that up, like introduce some new concepts and kind of rethink some of those assumptions that are driving behavior? You could have a whole new vision of what your life is. And he said, you know what, you keep it your life editor. And thus began the uh, evolution of my coaching company, Life Editor Coaching, me calling myself a life editor. And so it was a beautiful integration of, like I said, my passion for storytelling, filmmaking, and that part of my life, which I spent, you know, 10, 15 plus years doing, integrated with this um, almost instinctual, like I said, you know, sort of destined um, part of me that is really steeped in my purpose, which is really about, like I said, activating. And people say this all the time, you know helping people become the best versions of themselves. But the reality is that's what you're trying to do, you know? And so it's become kind of a buzzword, I think, in the coaching industry. Uh, but for me, it is about kind of getting rid of the noise, like interjecting those, you know, teachings, tools, practical things that, you know, really brilliant people sometimes also get caught up in and helping them kind of put it all together in a new way so you can operate at your best. So that's sort of the short story. It's that's beautiful. And I love um I, I think names come from the strangest places too. And most of the time it's not from our own brain sitting down and being like, okay, here are like 10 words that I think sound and look cool. It's it's no, it's the idea someone else gave you that you like kind of tweaked because it was about you. Same thing with our business name. Um Spark this day, hundred percent came from a mentor of mine while we were kind of troubleshooting some other topics. So anyway, it's cool how that happens. Yeah. Um, I can't help but to to feel this sense of Brene Brown's like the stories we tell ourselves. Like that energy is kind of present in the work that you do. So talk to us about some of that, some of the similarities with um, Brene Brown's theory and and what what you do. Well, listen, I love Brene. Like she bow down, like her work around empathy and vulnerability and just all of it is so central to the work that I do yeah. uh, because, you know, my target sort of Olympian client, for lack of a better word, is someone who's sort of operating at the at the edges of like exceptionalism, you know, so someone mm -hmm. who probably has had a lot of success. You know, I kind of call those high performing leaders probably have literally checked the box of like all of the things you could do in your career professionally. And one of two things are happening. Either you're leveling up again and you're sort of being put into an environment that is still like, oh my God, testing you in ways that you haven't. Or that you're in a season of change and perhaps you're trying to understand um, because you're perhaps in conflict or things that you've traditionally not, I'm sorry, the ways you've, you've traditionally approached things are just not working. You're beginning to question yourself and it's a little scary to talk about it because you have been historically known as the person who has it all together. Who am I talking about myself, right? <laughs> I can relate. <laughs> yeah. And so, and so because of that, um, this idea of like vulnerability, you know, and this is where Brene's concepts about the stories you tell yourself, our stories are inherently steeped in vulnerability. I mean, the highs and the lows, the traumas that we have. And in many cases, in order to project a, a image of, you know, leader and having it all together, we think that the goal is to hide all of that stuff. Where my central tenet is, no, like, let's use that story. Let's use those ups and downs. Let's use those lessons, maybe where you, those seasons in your life where you didn't have it together as a way to 
like activate your superpowers because that's how you build trust. You know, that's how you're able to leverage all the things to communicate more effectively. Like that's how you're able to like activate the fullest potential in your team members because you are showing up in a way that makes them feel safe. So Renee's concepts around like leaning into the things that scare us, you know, and like actually owning our story, you know, in this idea of leading with more authentic leadership. And again, it's, it's sometimes unfortunate because you hear these buzzwords a lot. Like, you know, this is, you know, one of the things I'm grateful for is that coaching is being more recognized. So all y'all yep. HR people like hire coaches, you, we are absolutely essential. Um, but at the same time, it can kind of get people numb because they're like, oh, you know, da -da. but these are the fundamental tools that really allow for exceptional leadership. And in today's in environment, even more so than ever, the level of uncertainty is higher, the level of fear, the level of like um, lashing out and anger that comes from that. So to be able to counter those things with leaders who are able to show up and provide a different model is so integral today. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Um, the workplace is changing, changing, changing so rapidly. Um, and we'll continue to do so because we're just, we haven't hit our like homeostasis yet. We haven't gone, I don't know that we're going to, especially with all of the pushes that I am learning a lot about and speaking a lot about in Gen Z. Um, Gen Z alone, yo, the way they want to talk about their feelings, like... <laughs> It's great though. We we need more of that. But a lot, I would expect a lot of the leaders that you work with are from a different generation where that was not something they were taught to do. At all. The number of leaders, especially my like my coaching clients right now, the number of leaders that are coming to me saying, like, I do not want to be somebody's therapist. Mm -hmm. I do not have time for feelings. And listen, like I'm, I'm from Gen X, you know, like we are the most like neglected, like forgotten, like latchkey, you know, we say that we as parents had kids that are now Gen Z and younger who are like the most overprotected, you know, we like completely overcompensated. <laughs> and so to your point, you know, it's real because, you know, as a pr practitioner of this stuff, like I can't tell my folks, no, you know, you can't give up on them. Like, don't put them in, you know, to categories that I'm like, my heart It's like, these dudes are just not listening. You know, like they always want to talk about their feelings. So as leaders, yes, it is important to figure out how to activate that balance because to your point, it is great that people are able to talk about these vulnerabilities. You know, we don't feel like we have to bifurcate ourselves. You know, it's so, it was so insane to think that somebody could be dealing with something as tragic as like losing a parent or navigating somebody with a health issue or, you know, all the things that we as human beings deal with and then literally like leave that at home and then be able to show up and like do our jobs. So it's insane that we tried to do it. This is the reason why, you know, all of our challenges in the 80s and 90s and 2000s, you know, have come forth. So the idea that we can integrate more is important. At the same time, this, these these are these are spaces of professionalism like there there is accountability here like you do have to deliver like you mm -hmm. have to be able to receive constructive feedback and not say that it's abuse you know and I have so many leaders who are navigating Gen Z right now and that is one of the biggest problems you know how do you in institute accountability how do you encourage people to figure out how to problem solve without it being being seen as you're attacking me. You're making me feel uncomfortable, you know, and not something that is a static thing, you know, like you can have feelings, but we've got to teach our leaders. And honestly, this younger generation, like how do you navigate those with tools like communication, you know, not leaning into accusations, you know, how do you create space for people to be able to talk about that stuff 
up to a point and yet still understand these things cannot necessarily stop you completely from doing your job. So, you know, it's, it's a journey, <laughs> but you're absolutely right. It's fascinating. And we're holding this will, we'll have recorded this after the panel, but tomorrow we are about to record the panel. That's about a new generation of workers, AKA Gen Z. And I, you know, it's really interesting that you bring up this question about accountability because I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. And I've seen it play out in the workplace before um, where I'm really proud of certain generations, we'll just say Gen Z kids, for holding their boundaries. And as a wellness company specifically, that makes me really excited. And you still need to figure out a way to get this done. So I feel like there's, you know, I'm a millennial, so there's, I haven't figured it out either. I think no one completely has figured this out yet. And, you know, we're going to kind of have to by 2030 when they're, you know, 30% of the population, the working population. (laughs) But anyway, we're going down a rabbit hole here. This is not where your work is, but it's interesting to kind of see, you know, this is one of the issues that I'm sure is coming up a lot in your coaching sessions and a reminder of how different and important coaching is on top of um, therapy. It's not, it's not therapy. Let's just like debunk that really plain and simple. It is quite different, right? (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and I start all, I literally ground all of my sessions when I start engagements in this definition. Yeah. Cause coaching is absolutely not therapy. They complement each other brilliantly. Um, And I will say that oftentimes if somebody has not done the deeper work, oftentimes that happens in therapy um, to get to a point of sort of healing, acceptance, forgiveness of whatever sort of deep, deeper, earlier traumas they're dealing with, coaching will probably not be as effective. And I will say that, you know, cause coaching, I would say this therapy is about the past. <laughs> coaching is about the future. So when you come to me, you know, I will listen to you talk about all of the things that are going wrong. And then I'm going to say, okay, so now what are we going to do about it? And for a lot of people moving into that, like accountability and accepting and kind of reclaiming their own agency in their lives, like shifting from victim mindset, which is oftentimes what people who are in therapy are kind of navigating to like, this is a choice. So are we going to move forward with agency and own that? Or are we not? Because coaching is about the former, you know what I mean? (laughs) So we got to be able to move through that, but absolutely a good distinction to make. Yeah. And I, I think that makes a lot of sense too, with the the editing component, the editing word that you've used. If you're moving forward, there's something that you're going to have to change. If you're keeping the status quo, like good for you, but it's not going to create the outcomes that you're looking for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, one of my mantras is, you know, the stories you tell yourselves matter and make sure you're telling yourself a, telling yourself a story that is going to get you the results for the season you're in. And so this is why I use this idea of seasons, because like I said, there are behaviors, there are mindsets, there are choices that we make that actually served us. Like it got us the results that we want. So when you sometimes confront people and they're struggling and you come to them and they say, and I say like, well, is that story still serving you? You know, it's like a wake up call because people oftentimes assume that the same narrative and the same behavior choices are going to get you through life. And I'm like, no, (laughs) 
because life is forever changing. You talk about this idea of will we ever reach stasis? My answer is absolutely not. You know, the reality is things are only going to change more rapidly because of technology, because of the interconnectedness of the world. I mean, our experiences are so unique and different. So being able to prepare yourself for perpetual change is what the goal is. And so how do you do that in a way that is, um, you know, like honoring <laughs> that truth and still empowers people to be able to have the ability and the tools to change that narrative? To actually be aware that they even have a narrative because there's so mm. many of us who are operating from a from a place of um, pure assumption and pure, um, uh, what's the best word? I mean, just just from a place of like, always making up a story based on their feelings as opposed to steeping things in data. Like my biggest thing is like, what is the data showing you? <laughs> and if this data is not matching up, then this is a choice you're making based on some previous lives and previous experiences that you've had. And again, is it serving you? I love that. Um, I think of every experience in my life, both with the business and with my personal life as data. And to be honest, it helps me kind of make it more objective versus subjective and understand what the truth is. Because, you know, there is no truth in reality. We all have our own rose-colored glasses that we're seeing things through. It's mm-hmm. it's easy for, you know, the, the experiences that we've gone through, the assumptions we've created, the stories that we tell ourselves to help color the actual whatever quote unquote truths there are. But um, yeah, I think, um, are you familiar? I'm going to get a little psychology nerdy here. Are you familiar with um, either immunity to change or just Robert Keegan's um, ideas on adult development? Yes, I am exposed to that. Oh, okay. So I mean, this was um, most of my master's degree was doing this work. And Mm -hmm. I, it blew, I, you know, I had this class every week. It blew my mind every single week. I did not realize the amount of growth that we all as adults go through and then don't because we don't have the opportunities necessarily or put ourselves in the circum the, the, yeah, the circumstances to be able to continue to grow. And it's, yeah. it's wild. Yeah. Why? Well, because it's scary. I mean, yes. the idea, I mean, it, growth only happens typically in scary freaking times. Like yeah. whether it's because you're you're afraid, oh my God, I'm in this new space and are they going to see me like the typical imposter syndrome? Are they going to think that I'm here by joke? Or you don't even realize it. You got fired. Like you lost a parent, like this, this natural life happening. And it's typically in those moments where you actually are finally confronted with this idea of like, oh my God. Now the problem is that those things may not happen all the time. You know what I mean? Yeah. So for someone like me who is, a seeker. Like I like growth. Like I am probably intentionally going to put myself in situations where I am going to be out of my comfort zone. Um, and typically, like I said, the client, the, the type of leader I'm dealing with is like, they're being tasked, grow this revenue from this to this, like launch this new product, like completely move the whole, you know, a group to a new country. I mean, like the leaders that I'm dealing with are literally being forced to deal with massive change all the time. So because I have been the kind of person who activates that to my own personal professional life, it's, you know, there's a lot of connection. So that's one of the reasons why I'm able to have, I think, a lot of success with sort of like that senior leader kind of manager. And this is my typical like client, you know, senior leader, operating executive C-suite, you know, navigating change, managing teams, you know, minimum of 10 to like 150, but you're dealing with a lot of complexity and you are having to do it at like high um, expectations in terms of, you know, results. Yeah. That is the ultimate 
you know, <laughs> environment for yeah. growth. And so having coaches interjected in those seasons are so valuable because having somebody who has your back, like having somebody who can create a safe space for you to be vulnerable, for you to talk about this stuff that you may not be able to tell your CEO boss or be able to tell your team, because you do need to maintain a sense of kind of confidence, not necessarily shying from perhaps moments of fear, but knowing, okay, but I have a way to go through that. Coaching spaces provide that opportunity for the person to go through the growth and then kind of come out and be able to put in practice, test things out, get the data, see what's going. Um, and so, you know, to me, those are the times where, you know, if you are an HR professional or if you are sort of a board or senior person trying to decide how do I best support my leaders, coaching in those seasons are extremely helpful because the likelihood of success is like 10x versus not. And like, if you're going to pay somebody a whole shitload of money, excuse my language, a whole lot of money and put them out there to talk about millions of dollars in return to invest 30, 40, 50,000. I mean, to me, that's like a no brainer, you know, and I think in data, you know, I think that's another reason why from a corporate perspective, I do well in these spaces because like, I can show you the ROI of my work. Like I can put it up against your, <laughs> your, love your it. The costs, you know, what are the costs in terms of, you know, lower productivity? What are the costs in terms of having to rehire somebody? What are the costs in terms of literally revenue you're leave, leaving on the table because you just won't take the time. And it's really a short-sighted mindset. And I don't say this in a sort of crit critical way. I just say it in like a, this is sort of the facts. When you look at the numbers and how they stack up, I've, you know, if you're hiring really good coaches and that not all of them, not all of us are created equal, but people who understand this specific population that you're trying to support and who can really bring unique understanding and perspective in terms of the tools that they should use, the data doesn't lie. Like it just does not lie. And when you, there's been studies looking at companies who've decided to invest in talent this way over time, seeing the actual results when it comes to employee retention, when it comes to employee engagement, when it comes to revenue results over time, it, it's all like exponentially more. So, yeah. you know, wh which would you prefer? <laughs> I, to me, there's a clear distinction <laughs> and a clear answer. And I, I still think even though, well, a few things. I think we're on the cusp of like a coaching revolution of sorts. I think we've been understanding more about our mental health and our wellness generally as individuals. We've transitioned to understanding that that impacts our work. And yes, this is coming from someone who's in the wellness space. So yes, you know, we're preaching to the choir in some capacities, but I, I agree that I think there's, you know, this trend upwards towards coaching and understanding the value in the workplace of coaching, you know, just even taking a look at how many positions are open at a company like BetterUp, which is scaling this concept right. specifically, Absolutely. like that is showing the the change and the the necessity of this, knowing that coaching is not, again, therapy, but it is a component of your, your well-being. I would I would say, you know, there's eight dimensions of wellness. I would say it hits on a few of them, but it hits predominantly on that occupational wellness component, which to be honest, you know, people see that. And I've done trainings with people looking at all eight dimensions. They're like, what do you mean occupational wellness? And that should not be a question that we're getting anymore. We need to start understanding what that is because how many, how many hours do we spend working a week? That's it. <laughs> 
I mean, that's it. Yeah. And it's interesting because one of my dear friends used to work for a company called Great Place to Work, and they do mm. a kind of annual kind of assessment of company in terms of, you know, great place to work. Like you talk about occupational healthiness and, you know, do you feel seen and all of the things, high trust cultures. And, you know, I think Fortune is their media partner. They kind of do their annual rankings. And I mean, consistently, like I said, the, 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 the kind of, um, analysis around this, you know, just shows, you know, kind of like high trust cultures, you know, people who feel seen, like people who feel celebrated. And I'm sure you could dive into this a lot more just because, you know, your your core focus is in the wellness, the impact of wellness work in the workplace. Um, it consistently shows, you know, like the folks who are kind of seeing their people as not, you know, as more seeing them as more human as opposed to robots. And, mm. and I mean, and that's kind of an extreme because I think we are much closer, like we're, we're very far from robots. That said, especially as we're moving through environments where, you know, resources are become limited, you know, like we are in a, you know, potentially a recession, like, you know, folks are being laid off, you know, it's easy to kind of lose sight of the humanness of your leaders and like navigating life after. And that is a wellness component. Like when people have to let's, someone go, even if it's done via email, that sits in your soul, you know, like, so how do you then show up the next day and keep your team motivated and keep yourself motivated? And, you know, all of that is absolutely the kinds of things that are addressed in coaching, but even more broadly, like, you know, how are you like thinking about talent development more holistically beyond just the promotion, beyond just the money? You know, I, I talk about this concept of currency, like everyone's currency is different. And as a leader, understanding the currency of your team is one of the most valuable things you can you can have you know clarity in when you're trying to think about strategies and, and ways to sort of move very quickly you know if, if, if someone's currency is money okay great but someone's currency be like i want to go home like i want to be home at five o'clock someone's other i want to know i have a job like someone could be like i want to be elevated like i want to be pray you know so understanding those things takes like thinking time because <laughs> if you're so busy trying to hit goals and make all this stuff happen so again creating space wellness, coaching, that is where that kind of stuff is able to be developed and kind of understood. And in our era of trying to do more with less, the tendency is to think that if you work more, you will get your to your goals. And my kind of counter to that, and I do a lot of this work with my, with my coaching clients, I do a lot of speaking on this, is in this idea of the power of the pause. And it's not because you're working harder. It's because you're resting. It's because you're pausing. It's because you're thinking more that you get your goals. And that's very counterintuitive to a lot of ways that a lot of, you know, kind of companies are being kind of led or being, um, you know, sort of guided in terms of mindset, you know, like you never say no to anything. It's like, no, no, no. Sometimes it's important to set a boundary. Like sometimes it's important to allocate resources for your key thinkers to have time to think <laughs> because in the long run, it actually allows you to learn how to delegate better. It allows you to come up with innovation. So that way the approach you're taking actually is going to save you money. You're not just throwing money at problems. And these are the kinds of complexities that, like I said, folks who are in talent development, HR executives, you know, L&D teams, you know, if you can sort of bring that mindset to your pitches to your obviously budget writers, you know, hopefully it can begin to evolve the conversation because that is really where the power is, you know, and that's where like the wellness programs, that's where like the coaching investments really pay off. And it's those people who understand that, that when I say people like those companies with folks and leaders who understand that 
they're going to be the ones that have the like 10x growth over time, you know, and I'm always bring it back to dollars and cents because you got to talk to your stakeholders. You got to talk to your shareholders. You got to talk to your board. Dollars yeah. and cents. <laughs> and that is if your trade -off. Money speaks. You're absolutely right. We live in a capitalistic world. And I'm so glad that you brought in this power of the pause concept because, you know, like my, my background has been learning and practicing and teaching mindfulness on top of like as a more specific avenue of wellness. And it pausing is just the most practical, supportive, um, stress reducing, like, let me just say like 10 more adjectives to it, uh, thing that you could do. It is the most powerful thing to do. Absolutely. So I, I love that you say that. I would love, so it sounds, you know, you work with exceptional leaders and I, I, I love that phrase. I would love to hear, is there, you know, a specific tool that you want to kind of leave as a breadcrumb for the folks um, that listen, something that maybe you share oftentimes or something that's like a duh, aha moment that, that, that people could get a little... Yeah. When you say people, you mean like kind of for leaders out there or specifically kind of with even, with, well, you know, it doesn't even matter because whether you're in HR or not. The, yeah, we're all things. leaders in some way. Yes. Leaders in some way. You're absolutely right. Industry agnostic. So here are two things. A, leading with curiosity. And I say this, like, how well are you at asking good questions? And you have probably heard this idea, you know, the most powerful and successful people are not really thinking about, um, saying something, they're thinking about what is the next most powerful question to ask. And it's in that idea of curiosity. And it's in that idea of like, not thinking that your job is to tell, but to listen where the most effective um, outcomes come. Because not only does your team feel seen, you know, when you talk about things like diversity and inclusion and like, you know, helping people feel valued and a lot of things that are probably top of mind right now for a lot of companies in the economy, in the environment and the economy we're in right now, Something as simple as like teaching your people how to ask good questions allows you to understand their story more effectively, understand their experiences, maybe create space for a different perspective that you may not think of because you've been doing this maybe amazingly for so long, but maybe it's amazing times 10 and allowing that person's perspective and hearing their idea creates the dynamic for collaboration, for feeling seen, for being, for, for feeling valued. And like, it's such a simple concept, but it's really hard to do. It's really hard to do. Like asking good questions. I say, lead with the W's who, what, where, when, why. And if you were to evaluate your conversation with somebody say in like the next hour, how many questions are you asking that are open-ended and how many questions are you asking that are closed-ended? And just to make sure folks know, closed-ended questions have a yes or no. And an open-ended question is typically one that starts with W. And if you are asking more closed-in questions, I will begin to examine your curiosity level. That's mm -hmm. a big tip. So kind of folks, as you listen and go off, really begin to observe in your own vocabulary and your own communication style, and then also others around you. And if you don't have a high curiosity culture, it's probably one of the reasons why you're, you're dealing with some of the challenges that you're dealing with. That's the first thing. The second thing I would just say is this power of the pause. I mean, I, I am on a mission. <laughs> <laughs> to talk about this because I am the the like poster child of what happens when you don't understand the power of the pause. And, you know, like I said, my health journey, we, that's a whole nother podcast, you know, Gabby, honestly. <laughs> but my point is, you know, beginning to operate in this counterintuitive mindset in terms of our culture, because we are, we, we have built a culture that immediately tells you if you are not working, if you are not doing, you are lazy, 
you are not you are not worth anything and it is producing the burned out i mean for the first time america has more burned out people i mean i'm sorry globally there are more people burned out than in america and that tells you a lot that means our values are kind of you know seeping out across the globe and it is steeped in a lack of understanding as i said of like what thinking, what pausing gets you? It decreases your anxiety. Like it absolutely gives you an opportunity to come up with better ideas. It actually, and I say this, pausing is a love language to your team. Like resting is a love language because it actually tells you, hey, you know what? I've trained you guys well enough to know that I can leave and you got this under control. It actually tells them that you value them because when people are unwilling to rest and work and, 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 and instead are always working, it can actually be perceived as a very selfish act because in that you think that only you are capable of keeping things together. And what does that tell to your team? Like, does it make them feel empowered or disempowered? So this idea of like really examining, like, how do you relate to pausing to your, to your point, mindfulness. And if you're telling yourself a story that is steeped in some sort of negative association with resting, dig deeper and begin to ask yourself why. Oh my goodness. I am ready to hire you. So I hope everyone else is fired up and ready to do the same thing. <laughs> it's, it's so, so, so powerful. You know, I've had a coach, um, one time now in my um, career as a CEO and those months that I had my coach were the absolute most effective and best months I have had. So I am excited to go back down that journey again. And I just strongly recommend for anyone, whether it's um, KB or somebody else to find what works for you and really figure out how to continue to challenge yourself to pause, to ask the right questions, to change the stories that you're telling yourself. So Kibi, thank you so much. It's just been so, so wonderful to have you here. No, my pleasure. I love talking about this stuff. So absolutely reach out. You know, I know a ton of coaches if I'm not the coach, but definitely to your point, Gabby, it is never a mistake to invest in yourself. Nope. I have a coach, you know, like you are never so big, so experienced, so anything that you cannot benefit from a coach at different seasons in your life. So I just want to co-sign on that statement. You know, everybody who is dealing with change and that is everybody <laughs> mm -hmm. benefit from a coach. So making sure that you keep yourself open to that possibility, whether you are hiring and thinking about resource allocation for your, you know, for people you're managing or for your own purposes, but having that in your back pocket will never, ever fail you. It'll only yeah. make you be amazingly successful. Well, if people are interested in, you know, either just learning about you through thought leadership or bringing you on as a speaker, maybe as um, a coach, where can they find more information about you? Absolutely. So my website is lifeeditor.co. So if you type in www.lifeeditor.co, you can access me, send me an email inquiry, look at all my services, my offerings. As you shared, I do keynotes, I do workshops, I do one-on-one -on -one coaching. Um, so would love to be able to talk to folks. You can follow me on Instagram at Kibi Anderson um, and pretty much anywhere. Like my name is unique, K-I-B-I. So if you type Kibi Anderson, there's not a lot of folks out there like me. So it will pop up and I would love to hear from anybody. Um, so let's, let's talk. Thank you so much, Kibi, for being here. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. Definitely. All right, everybody, go be great. Ask good <laughs> questions and pause. There you go. <laughs> I swear I learned so much from each and every episode on Capital P. 
If there is something that you are taking away from this episode, we encourage you to share it on social media, particularly our main channel on LinkedIn. Tag us, tag our guests. As always, thank you so much for listening, fam. We'll catch you next time to talk wellness in the workplace with other visionaries. You can find Capital P Tuesdays and Thursdays this summer on Spotify and Apple Podcasts with a brand new episode. Make sure to follow us and share with your favorite people people. See you next time. Thank you.